Hey, thanks for checking out the So What Factor. My name's Randy Bennett. I'm a United Methodist pastor, and these sermons answer the question, I hope, so what? So what? Is God real? So what am I supposed to do with my life? So what does the Bible actually say? So in every sermon, it's my hope that you'll figure out what the so what is. But if you don't know, or it wasn't clear, feel free to find me on Facebook at Randy Bennett Jr., and shoot me a message. You can also email me at pastorrandybennett at yahoo.com. Be happy to hear your questions and, and, uh, and connect with you. So thanks for listening. Take care and God bless. Oh, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I ask that you take the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart and make them wholly yours. That together, as we seriously consider your word this day, we might find insights that help us grow in how we personally can take your good news to the ends of the earth and the lives that we live, and also how we, as a body of Christ, a Christ community, can also take your word to the ends of the earth. So just be with us now as we consider your word. These things I ask and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome back. We are now in a sermon series called Mission Insight 201, Paul's second mission to the ends of the earth. And uh, I began this last week, and just a reminder that the four main characters we're considering as part of this is uh, Paul and Silas, but there's also Timothy and the author of Acts, Luke. All four are part of this, this mission team. The question guiding our series is, what insights about Paul's second missionary journey can be identified and applied to our present mission at Christ's community? And so today's sermon is Philippi Part 1. It's the original title, isn't it? Philippi Part 1. That there's a Part 1 then must mean what? Yeah, there's going to be a part two. Y'all are smart. Well, except for Kurt. Y'all are smart. (laughs) I do want to warn you, though, today that this is what we would call a cliffhanger sermon. We're going to get really deep into the historical narrative, and we're going to find ourselves wanting to know how it turns out. So please tune in next week so you can find the thrilling conclusion to Philippi. Luke writes, from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. And from there we traveled to Philippi, Roman Colleen, a leading city in the district of Macedonia. Now, it must have been pretty smooth sailing, y'all, from Troas to Neapolis, because um, it only took about a day to reach. And we'll see on Paul's second missionary journey uh, that it would take five days to do the reverse. And you could also, the Samothrace was like a mountain island. It stuck up about 5,000 feet above the sea. So if the weather was great, you could see it. But if it wasn't, yeah. So the team traveled there. They sailed, and then um, they traveled on the road called the Via Ignatia, um, about 10 miles to the city of Philippi. And, um, you know, well-built roads, well-built Roman roads, 
um, like the Via Ignatia, made travel possible throughout the vast Roman Empire. And you should know that the Roman Empire extended as far uh, north, <clears throat> northwest um, uh, to Britain, Britain, and as far southeast as Egypt. So you truly could get just about everywhere in a civilized world by sailing and the Roman roads. And Paul, Paul's missionary journey this time is going to be traveling this road as he goes through the different city-states of Greece, or what we would call Greece now. Luke writes, And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and we began to speak to the women who were gathered there. Now, this is the first insight I would offer. And that's this. Assessment periods are vital to discerning where and when to launch a ministry or mission. They show up to Philippi, and they, they find some place to pop a squat, and then they just check it out. They're assessing the situation. Where are we going to begin from? They're figuring it out. And while the length of time they spent assessing Philippi is not known, it was likely six days or less, because Paul waited until the Sabbath before going to the river to share the gospel. Now, why did they go to the river? Well, if you remember anything from our first mission trip with Paul, Paul always looks for the open door, right? Where is the first place he can go in and start talking about Jesus? And in the past, where has that been for Paul? Why, the local synagogue. That's where Paul would go in and begin speaking about Jesus Christ. But Philippi was an ancient city. Uh, it was Thracian in origin, which means nothing to you. don't really mean nothing to me. I just thought I'd throw that word out there. Thracian. And it changed hands under the Greek Empire and now the Roman Empire. So the city, it was a very large metro, metropolitan place, but the Jewish population was so small that there wasn't even a synagogue. And since there was no synagogue, meeting at the river that was outside of the city afforded some privacy to the worshipers, but it also shielded them from potential ridicule. So... After assessing the situation, Paul and the team decide, okay, that's, that's where everybody's gathering. We're going to go there and present the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they go. And one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Theatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Y'all, pay attention to Lydia here because she's going to be significant in Paul's ministry uh, both now and later on. But the insight that I would draw from that right away is this, and I hope it will give you some freedom in your own life, especially from those things that we Christians sometimes do to ourselves, which is make ourselves feel guilty. Here's the insight. We deliver the message, but the Holy Spirit opens a person's heart to receive it. Right? We don't save. That's not our job. 
I am not a savior. You are not a savior. Quit beating yourself up because you can't get somebody in your family or somebody at your workplace or somebody that's your friend. Quit beating yourself up because they refuse to accept Jesus. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to share the message. And when words fail, actions of love almost surely do not. We deliver the message. It's the Holy Spirit that opens the heart to receive it. And that day, Lydia was open to receiving the message of Jesus Christ. Verse 15 says, When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, Lydia said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Boy, that's fast. By the way, here's another insight. When you receive an offer of hospitality that you can't refuse, then don't refuse it. Duh, huh? I mean, that's kind of simple, right? If you receive an offer you can't refuse, then I guess you dare not refuse it. You know one of my favorite Pennsylvania Dutch words I've learned in Snyder County? Daresent. <laughs> you all laugh in this room because you know what it means. I ain't never heard anybody use daresent before, but it's common. You daresent refuse. You daresent refuse hospitality like that. Right? You dare not. Guys in the sound booth are still laughing. Now y'all check this out. Luke doesn't make any mention of a husband. There is no man connected to Lydia. Perhaps she was divorced. Perhaps she was widowed. In truth, it really doesn't matter if she was connected to a man, at least by today's standards, right? But in the world of Paul's time, that was a pretty big deal. Perhaps it was even a bigger deal because she was the first convert to Christianity on Paul's second journey. The passage clearly demonstrates that Lydia, Lydia, on her own, was a successful businesswoman who owned an estate large enough to house many people. She immediately became the benefactor of Paul's mission in Philippi, and her home became the meeting place of the church. And Lydia's generosity would follow Paul's ministry for the rest of his life until he died. Luke continues clearly moving ahead some time, but they're still meeting at the river. He writes in verse 16, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. Once we were on a place, we're going to a place of great prayer. Uh, where they normally go. In other words, the insight is really simple. It's super fast. I don't even have to unpack it. And it's this. Continue utilizing a location that's found missional success until it's no longer an effective meeting place. In other words, if where they were going was working, there was no need to stop yet, right? 
I mean, Christ community continues to gather at this location because it continues to work. We may be changing the insides and the innards and some of the stuff on the location, but this, in, this location is still a successful outpost for Jesus Christ. But you know, sometimes a lot of our sister churches, they have these wonderful facilities, these beautiful, beautiful stone churches, etc., and, and, and they're huge, especially in some places in the, in the South. They're huge. You know, one time in our heyday, they may have had thousands of members, and now they have like 10 people show up to worship. They remained in the same location, but they ceased to reach the people that were surrounding them. And I don't know what it's going to look like on this hill 50 years from now, but my best guess is when the bypass is completed, you're going to see this area around here grow up even more. And I hope and I pray over you now that you may continue to be a successful outpost of Jesus Christ right here in this location. And if I'm still alive, that'll make me like 94, but I don't, who knows. I dare not guess. All right, so this girl, this slave girl, she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be, hey, be, be saved. And she kept this up for many days. So we don't know how many days, but apparently it was a lot, right? Now, why is it an issue that this slave girl is saying these things if she's accurately proclaiming Paul's identity and what he's doing? Why is that an issue? Was it an issue in Jesus' ministry? When Jesus encountered demoniacs and they would say something like, What do you want with us, Son of the Most High? Or please leave us alone, Son of the Most High. It's not that what she's saying wasn't, wasn't correct, it was. But it was what she was doing and how she was doing it. And in a world that was polytheistic, meaning there was multiple gods, and she was, by the power of Zeus, if you will, um, fortune-telling, that was a real problem and became a problem for the mission. It was getting in the way of what Paul and his team were trying to accomplish. So finally, finally Paul, he just, I mean, this is Randy's paraphrase, right? Paul finally became so annoyed with this girl He'd had enough that he turned around and he said to the spirit in her, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Now, if you don't take any other insight away from today's sermon, I want you to take this one right now. You listen? The name of Jesus Christ is powerful. The name of Jesus Christ is powerful. And it's so important that we understand in our own mission work that it's not the person that is evil, but the spirit inside of or surrounding them. That's where evil exists. It's not a person. Well, people are like, what about Hitler? Perhaps the spirit of evil was in him. And he did terrible things. If we believe that the redemption of Jesus Christ is possible for all people, 
then we've got to hold out hope for that while calling evil out on the carpet. Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, freed this slave girl from the demon that was inside of her. Now that Luke has written of this account likely means that the slave girl became a member of the Philippian church. Now what Paul did took place in a public arena. There was no magic to what Paul did. There was no spectacle. There was no showmanship to what Paul did. He was just a highly annoyed follower of Jesus Christ who simply used the name of Jesus to bring order to chaos. Because that's what the spirit, the, 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 the demon spirit inside of this girl was doing. She was wreaking chaos. She was trying to surround the mission of Paul with chaos. And all Paul did was call on the name of Jesus Christ to bring order to that chaos. And brothers and sisters, hear me right now because you can apply this to your life. Where is there chaos in your life right now? Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, we have the privilege of calling on the name of Jesus Christ at any time and asking him to bring order to our chaos. Is God a God of order or chaos? You tell me. Did he create everything in a chaotic matter or was there order in creation? He is a God of order. And Jesus Christ can bring order to your life or order to departments of your life, if you will. So if you're feeling like things are chaotic, I would encourage you to call on the name of Jesus. It does not mean it's going to instantly go away. It means you're going to have to do some work. But calling on the name of Jesus now, that's going to help you identify and begin to put these things in the place that Jesus wants you to. Right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Right? So... Jesus can bring order to our chaos. Well, when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrate and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Now, the first thing I want you to notice here is what? Paul and Silas, these were the two that were seized. Where's Luke and Timothy? I don't know, but apparently they must have been the two smart ones of the group. Right? They just straight they must have seen Paul, Paul, oh, Paul's getting on it. Paul and Silas are getting on it. Luke and Timothy were like, I don't know. But they're not mentioned here. So somewhere in the fray of all that, they were able to slip away. Paul and Silas were seized. And the owners of the slave girl, they were mad. Now, do you notice that they don't actually tell the magistrates what really took place? They don't tell them about Paul exercising the demon from the girl. They say nothing about that. Instead, they levy a threefold attack against Paul and Silas. And check out the very first thing they do. They awaken the latent prejudice in the crowd. These men are Jews. Oh, that's lying right underneath the surface. 
of that place. In other words, these men are less than us. These men don't really belong here. And they stir up that prejudice that's just right there bubbling under the surface. These men should go away. They don't belong here. They're not one of us. The second thing that happens here is the magistrates are responsible for keeping law and order. So when these guys state that Paul and Silas' presence was throwing the city into an uproar, the slave owners were appealing to the job description of those magistrates. And they were doing it in order to bring harm to Paul and Silas. You see, the city wasn't actually in an uproar. The city wasn't in an uproar. But people were certainly talking about the missionaries, especially when Paul freed the slave girl from, from being able to tell the future. The third thing, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ or even proselytizing for Judaism was not yet illegal in the Roman Empire. And yet these, these are the things that the slave owners levy against Paul and Silas. Not what they actually did. They leveled prejudice and they twisted the truth into half-truths. And y'all listen, here's the insight I want you to get from this, okay? Evil, evil uses prejudice and deception. And by deception, I mean half-truths. And by the way, half-truths ain't nothing but all lies. Evil uses prejudice and deception in order to stir up anger and cause harm. I'm going to say it again. Evil uses prejudice and deception in order to stir up anger and cause harm. Sound familiar? Well, the crowd, they joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet to the stocks. Now, I want you just, 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 just close your eyes. If you're watching, close your eyes, okay? If you're in this room, close your eyes for a minute. Just, just imagine a city full of people. And now imagine somebody rips all your clothes off of you and you're just standing there naked. Naked in front of all those people. Whew. How's that feel? Not too good. I don't want to be naked in front of all them people. Man, that's scary, right? Talk about feeling exposed. Now I want you to imagine being repeatedly beaten with a rod. Now I asked Kurt to bring something today. I asked him, but you know, he was a police officer for nearly 20 years, right? So I asked him if he had a nightstick or a, a billy club or something like that at home, and he could not find it in time, but he brought me something close to the right size. Okay? So imagine this, but you know, shorter, but this is about the right width. Okay? And I don't know if you're going to be able to zoom in on where we are, but I'm getting ready to hit Kurt in the back with this. And so, Kurt, just come up here and, and assume a position like you're going to be frisked. Okay? Oh, that's awesome. Okay. And so what would happen is these, these trained Roman soldiers would take 
their rods and they would beat. Now, these people are trained to inflict pain. I'm not done. <laughs> no. It's a handsome stick in case you're wondering. A handsome stick. I think yeah. he's been beat a lot with this. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, sir. Keep going back. Okay. Now, look. There's no requirement for how many times a person could be hit with a stick. We read this passage and we don't really seem to get it. It's not like the Jewish 40 minus 1 scourging with a whip. There's no countdown. These boys were stripped naked, they were bent over, and they were beaten with a stick about yay thick over and over by trained soldiers who were trained to inflict maximum damage and to do so until either they became tired themselves from beating or the magistrate said that is enough. Many people died from floggings like Paul and Silas received. The text says they were severely flogged. Naked, bleeding, broken and bruised ribs. These two men are handed over to the jailer who then places them in the innermost cell of the prison. We would know that as a dungeon. And their feet, their feet were placed in wooden stocks that were fastened to the wall. Okay? Like their feet weren't just placed in stocks. These stocks were fastened to the wall, so they couldn't like, they were stuck in a certain position with her feet. But listen, it gets worse than that. These stocks, they were used as instruments of torture. You see, they had different footholds in them, which allowed for the severe stretching of the torso and could create excruciating pain. Now, Luke makes no mention of Paul and Silas being tortured. But truthfully, they were probably not in good enough shape at this point to even torture. And there they are in the depths of a prison, feet in stockades, beaten, bloody, not far from death. I wonder if these words from Jesus were going through their heads at that moment. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Paul was living out Jesus' words as he was crumpled over naked and beaten and bloody in a dungeon, feet fastened to the wall. But you know what Paul would later write to the Philippians? Rejoice in the Lord always. 
I will say it again, rejoice. I imagine these words would mean everything to the Philippian church when the man who planted their congregation under these circumstances wrote them from a different prison cell. What happens next? Tune in next week to find out. And that's the word of God seriously considered this day for the Church of Christ community. All thanks and praise be to the living God now and forever. Amen.